start the adult meeting now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. We are starting the adult meeting. Please have a seat. Okay, guys. Hi. As you know, we've been doing a series on marriage and family life because what else could we talk about than how important um, our family life is and particularly our, our connection to our family. So um, today we're talking about uh, rituals. Rituals in family life and particularly rituals for couples uh, to create meaningful connection. Uh, so what I want to do is I want to spend a few minutes uh, just talking about what rituals are in general and then talk about a little bit um, about rituals for families and then we're going to end with specific rituals for couples. They'll be very specific on what that looks like, what happens during this ritual between couples uh, in order to enhance connection and intimacy. Okay, uh, so rituals are different from routines and habits because um, they have a particular meaning for the family and they provide four things. They provide predictability, connection, identity, and a way to enact values. In other words, when you think about liturgy, for example, when you come to liturgy, uh, there's a sense of predictability there, right? Abuna doesn't show up and then he doesn't just say like a prayer from his heart, whatever he wants to pray about that day. Um, it's pretty structured. You know what he's going to pray. There's an offertory that is brought in. He takes it to the altar. He enacts uh, the baptism of Christ. He enacts the burial of Christ. He then uh, uh, reenacts the institution of the Last Supper. And there's something really important that takes place, which is an exchange. Uh, we exchange our life for the life of Christ. So there's a deeper meaning in the ritual of the liturgical prayer uh, that's set before us. Everything that we do is very basic. We bring bread, we bring water, we bring oil. There's nothing extraordinary about the material aspect of what we're doing but there's something extraordinary about the meaning that we are connecting with. And when we talk about rituals within the family, that's what we're doing. We're taking simple things uh, like dinner time, like sitting on the couch and speaking, uh, very simple things. And we are extracting from them a deep values, meaning, and an opportunity for deeper connection. So this is a book that um, I recommend. Uh, this is a book written by William Doherty, who's a, uh, a professor uh, in marriage and family therapy. You can't really read the quote here, but I'll read it to you. Um, I want to tell you why rituals are important. And this is, uh, these are two select quotes that I think are important that I want to read to you. He says, the natural drift of family life in contemporary America is towards slowly diminishing connection, meaning, and community. 
In other words, if you just get married and you have kids, the natural tendency is to diminish connection, meaning, and community. That, that's what will inevitably happen if you are not intentional about resisting this, right? So we were just talking, some of us were just talking about how it's very, it's very difficult to even have time with your spouse where you're sitting across from each other and you're having meaningful conversation unless you're very intentional about it. Um, he also says, we generate the highest expectation of family life of any generation in human history, but provide the least guidance as to how to achieve success in our contemporary, uh, contemporary family life. In other words, there is these really high expectations that you have to be very high achieving, you have to be very successful. Um, if you're a mom, you have to be a super mom. If you're a dad, you have to be awesome in your profession, but a great dad. And there's all these really, really high expectations, uh, but we don't have someone to watch our kid for an hour to go have dinner. We, uh, right? Like with, with COVID, for example, I, I get a call and they say, your kid has to quarantine for 10 days. Who's gonna watch our kid for 10 days? What are we doing? Um, and it's difficult, right? But there's these really, really high expectations and we're really like operating on very limited resources. You know, just to get nerdy with, uh, on you just for a little bit. Um, prior to the Industrial Revolution, I mean, you had like three generations living in one family. The dad took the boy out into the field and he learned how to be a man from dad. And, and the girl stayed with mom and she learned how to, how to be a housewife from her mom. And uh, you had grandma and grandpa and uncle and aunt and a thousand other people in your community that could watch your kids. No problem. But this is not the life that we live in now, right? Um, so there's a natural drift towards disconnection. Uh, this is a, a, the first quote is from Doherty. The second quote is from uh, John Gahn, which we'll talk about. So uh, this quote is from like the early 2000s. This is a study from the early 2000s, so over 22 years ago. So that statistic is outdated already, but it says that nearly 70%, so 68% of families in the U.S. do not eat dinner together. So the overwhelming majority of families don't sit down and eat dinner together. And if they are, they're sitting in front of the TV. Uh, so they're not really facing each other, they're not talking to each other, they're just eating, kind of it's like what kids, we call parallel play. We're not really playing together. You play with your toy, I play with my toy, but we're not really engaging together. Um, and here's another thing. I would say like um, the majority of couples who are now in therapy have one or two kids that are under three years old. So there's, there's a particular stressor that comes with first child especially if you're in the first four years of marriage and you have a child, there's a certain amount of stress that gets tagged on to the couple. And then if you have a second child, so that you have two children who are between the age of zero and three, that's an immense, immense pressure and stress on the couple to stay connected, to stay intimate, and we'll talk about intimacy and even physical intimacy. Um, and the importance of that. And so there's a, there's a, lot, of, um, a lot of demand in this area. 
So the natural drift is to really become, you know, more disconnected. So the kids, uh, you, you know, we're keeping up with the doctor's appointment, we're keeping up with their milestones, we're, what are we doing? There's a lot of extra tasks that are undertaken that you gotta keep up with your job and you're becoming stressed. And, and stress begins to um, change the way that we communicate with each other. We're short-tempered, we're, we're on edge, we're, we're frustrated. Uh, and the last thing you want to do is just sit down and say, I, I want to share with you how grateful I am, or how wonderful you are as a partner, which is what your spouse wants to hear, needs to hear, in order to calm his nervous system down, in order to calm her nervous system down, in order for us to connect. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, John Gottman is a world-renowned uh, couples therapist has done four years of, uh, uh, four decades of studies on uh, couples and, and, and couples issues. Um, I wanna tell you why, why rituals for connection is really, really important. Because when you come to talk about repair uh, in relationships, so when conflict occurs, what makes repair happen and what makes it happen quickly? In other words, if like you can talk to a couple and they'll say, you know, we got in an argument Saturday and it went on for six hours. We started the argument in the house and then we got in the car, we continued to argue, we got into the restaurant, we were in the car for 40 minutes uh, past our reservation time and we were still arguing, right? Um, what makes that couple continue in the tension of the argument, whereas in maybe another couple, there's a, a, a point of tension and then they can do repair and come out of it within like two minutes. So, so what happens between those two couples? Why is one able to reach repair within a few minutes and another couple, they're at it for four, six hours and then maybe it carries over to the next day as well. Um, <clears throat> there's a couple things that happen is uh, if we are not during the quote quote good time if we're not intentionally like building up an emotional bank account with our partner when we come to make a withdrawal uh, we're, we're overdrafting uh, and this is something we sometimes call a negative sentiment override. In other words, um, if a couple has a lot of negative interaction, one person can say like a neutral statement, like, oh, did you, uh, did you forget to do this? And that could trigger a fight because the couple are set on something called negative sentiment override. So if a third party heard what you just said, they would say, that sounds like a neutral statement to me but your partner is, uh, your spouse is just like overwhelmed with emotion about what you said. And that's because they're, they're in our ritual of connection, we're not investing in really connecting with each other so that we interpret what we hear in a positive light, which is then what we call positive sentiment override. And you see that, that, that happens with your friends as, as well, right? 
If you have a friend and you guys are really connected and have really strong emotional bond, and someone says, well, your team is playing today, your team sucks, you're like, ah, and you laugh and then you jab back. But if someone you don't know comes and says, oh, well, your team's playing today, your team sucks, then you sit and you think, what is he trying to say? <laughs> is he try, trying to belittle me somehow indirectly? Um, so I want to share three um, rituals for connection with the family and then share a couple of rituals for connection specifically for couples. And uh, we'll spend more time on the couple one. So obviously one of the, um, the most important ritual for connection is that of prayer, of prayer. When we come together as a family, and we pray and our children are with us as young as one year old, right? Um, what we are saying is there's something important really happening here. I remember Abu Ahmed al Miskin would say when he was younger, uh, about the age of like seven or eight, his parents would bring him and he said, I would walk into the room and I could tell that there's tension and there's something important going on. And they would say to him, you know, ask the Lord for this and this and that. And he said, I knew that Allah was writing on this because there was financial stressors. I knew that we were lacking something in the household. I had many siblings and this was a serious thing. And the dad would say, say, ask the Lord for this and this and this. And he, he would ask for this and this and this. And he said, after that, days, days would go by and I would see the joy in the and I see the goodness that would come out of that. that there's, you know, the, the wheat is there, the oil is there, we're baking, there's, there's happiness. And I realized the immense importance of what was going on here. So, and I see this like my daughter's only two years old and, and she'll turn to us and say, is so-and-so sick? No, grandma's not sick. Is grandpa sick? No, grandpa's not sick. But she knows that she has a responsibility to pray for the sick. And so she'll ask. And she's two years old. And she'll ask, is so-and-so sick? No, they're not sick. Um, and she knows that I have to ask the Lord to, to thank the Lord. For who? Even my stuffed animals. And she'll name them. Almo, Ella, what? Right? Uh, because why? Because that's the Lord. The Lord who's providing for us has given us these things that we have. So... Um, and also, she's looking, oh, uh, Tamab Irini would say this. She'd say, I walk into my mom's room, and behind the door, there my mom was standing praying. And she would do prostrations, and I would see how important this is to her. So a lot of times, the children don't know the importance of prayers, but they look in your face, and they see the passion in your face, and they know there's something really important going on here. I don't know much about God, I, know, I don't know much about prayer, but there's something immensely important here. And then they start straining up. They say, it just by, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? By, just by assimilation, right? They, they, they know something is really important going on. Okay, I'm not gonna spend too much time on this. So dinner time. Dinner time is another uh, way that we could really, really connect. Um, um, I want to thank Chick-fil-A for providing these little uh, 
these little cards that are prompts for a question. And so sometimes during dinner time, if we're not intentional, you know, the, the, the wife and husband can start talking about the bills, about problems, and then it can turn into this kind of like negative thing. But if we're intentional, we're sitting down, and this is an opportunity to start an ongoing conversation that never ends. So what is dinner time? To start? Conversation. That never ends. Yes. So did, I'm going to do this with all of you guys, so you better be listening. Otherwise, you're not going to know how to fill in the... So dinner time is a never-ending conversation. And so it's full of open-ended questions. And I, I, uh, I credit Chick-fil-A because they, they have these little, little questions uh, that my daughter's been asking for now. Like, what are the questions? Bring out the questions. You know, what's, what's your favorite memory, right? And she'll say, oh, you know, Christmas morning when I woke up and there was, what was your favorite story that you heard? Who is the closest friend that you have now? But those are things that we also ask our partner, right? Our, our spouse. Who's become a, a person who's really close to your heart in the past six months or a year? Say, you know, you know what? This, this person has really, really shown up for me has been a really great friend for me. So if I asked you right now, when it comes to your spouse, what's something that they're really scared about when it comes to their work? Yeah. What's something that they think about constantly when it comes to their parenting or their children? Besides, am I doing this right? Am I good enough? What else really occupies their thoughts and their feelings? So dinner time really allows us to tell stories, to share dreams, to connect about what's important, right? And it's got to be a positive time. If you have issues that you want to take up with your spouse, cultivate time for it, and we'll talk about that when we talk about couples' rituals. Play, 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 play. Play is the language of children, but we never grow out of it. You know why it is that we connect with people better than we do with others? It's just simple, as we feel emotionally safe. So if we walk into a room and we see a priest, he's playing with the kids or, or whatever, it, it tells us he's approachable, he's safe, he's not gonna judge me. And, and all of a sudden we say, I really like this Abuna. You're like, why? I don't know why, I just really like him. Because our nervous system soothes and we feel safe and we feel okay. And with our children, they need to know that you can share in my world, you can share in my excitement, you can share in what I'm interested in. So when our kids bring things to us, we turn towards them. What, and we ask questions and we're curious. So what does this do? How does this work? And we engage with them. And if they go into imagination, we go right with them. Right? And that's the way we express love. Because love, we love indeed, the scripture says. So we say, I don't say like, you know, go away, I got important work to do because I make money and I provide for the family. That's not loving indeed. In that moment, loving indeed is, is serving the child by engaging in their world. Right? So I set myself aside and I engage with you. What's important to you? 
It's Allah, it's Allah. It's Almo, it's Almo. Let's enter into Almo's world. Right? Um, can someone, who's tech savvy, can someone start this video for us? Uh, show you a two-minute video on play that's really important. Uh, yes, can you turn it up? Great job. Nagy, volume. Tally, I need to dish up shay, I'm in the volume. Urgency, Nagy, we're pressed on time here. So it's okay, let me, let me see if I can guide you through, guys. If I can guide you through the video. Okay, that's okay, that's okay. That's okay, that's okay. It's okay, it's okay. Let me, just, let me guide you through the video. So, uh, whoever is standing up needs to sit down. Okay, guys, so check out. This is the mom engaging with this child. This is called the still face experiment. So the mom is engaging with the child. Then she turns around and she shows a still face. And the child uh, begins to try to get the mom to engage with him. Uh, he tries to laugh a little bit. The mom is not responsive. He points to something so that if she tries to reach for her, she's non-responsive. And then he begins to get agitated. Okay, he's trying to regulate his emotions by getting his hands together. Again, he's really trying to work for mom's engagement. And mom is not walking away. She's there, but she's just not emotionally engaged. Just looking at him. Now he's looking away because he's distressed. Child's becoming more distressed, and there he starts
We do this type of testing on humans all the time. We are incredibly insensitive in making these graphs. So, so the point here is the child looks at the mother's eyes and uh, there is a release of oxytocin, dopamine, neurochemicals in the brain that, that soothes the child. They need, the child needs this engagement, needs this play. But we never go out of it. Because if I'm sitting at dinner time and I'm looking at my wife in the eyes and she picks up her phone and she's disconnected, then you know we, we get to be like this little child, right? And we throw our tantrum and go, oh, what's going on? Okay, so let's let's skip forward because I know we only have a few minutes for the kids uh, running here. We're gonna talk about rituals for a couple, and hopefully we end on a high note. I wanna tell you guys stress-reducing conversation. This is something that you can do every day for about 30 minutes. And it requires a listener and a speaker. So you sit in front of your spouse and uh, whoever is speaking begins to talk about something stressful that's happened in their day. So it might sound like, you know, at work I was really this issue, and then this comes up, and this came up for me, I'm really struggling with this. And uh, the listener's job is only to attend by asking questions from a place of curiosity and providing empathy. They don't solve the problem. So even if it's your wife who's coming to you and is saying like, gosh, I'm so frustrated, my boss at work has really poor boundaries, he's giving me work, even though I told him I'm like overloaded. You don't jump in and say, what you need to tell him, you don't do that. And there's a reason why you don't do that, right? Number one, whatever genius idea you have, your spouse has thought about it, through it, over it a thousand times. So you're just going to look really stupid because your spouse is going to roll her eyes and be like, I know. I could have done that, yes. But that's not what I'm meaning right now. So, uh, so we're not providing solutions. Uh, there's got to be a plan for the kids if we can nurture and love them somewhere towards the back. Shall we continue next week? Okay, Archie has given command for us to stop here and continue this next week. Uh, next week, uh, next week. Okay, so two weeks from now, we'll, we'll really just spend time on rituals for connection for couple. Okay? Shall we pray? Okay, Archie's gonna lead us in prayer.